Welcome to episode nine of the Consider the Dog podcast. Evan Doggett joined us for this conversation. Stay tuned as we discuss tips for getting a dog in a crate when they might want to bite you, whether there is a difference between reactivity based out of fear versus aggression, and does it even matter? Resources for learning about nutrition and a whole lot more. This episode is packed with useful insights, so let's get started. Just like our relationships with other humans in our lives, our relationships with our dogs are dynamic and complex. I believe that in order for those relationships to flourish or to find resolution when those relationships become strained, we must attend to them thoughtfully and with care. Welcome to the Consider the Dog podcast, created from archived recordings of live sessions where our members get to ask their most burning questions to some of the greatest practitioners of canine behavior. I'm your host, Tyler Muto. I hope you enjoy this episode. And remember, if you want to join the conversation live, you can visit us at considerthedog.com. Anyway, we're here ready for questions, dog questions. Did you get to see, Tyler, uh, to put you on the spot, did you get to see any of the uh, body language stuff that I put up? I did. Yeah. Because uh, we're actually, um, we're putting together, um, not that all our members really need to know this, but we're putting together like a little thing for like helping our marketing. We're putting together like a little sample pack with like cool. little segments from different courses, specifically about aggression. Um, yeah. There's some really good, really good stuff in there. So we put some clips of that into our sample pack to nice. encourage new people to come and check out our content. So yeah, the, the, the body language, um, learn how to speak dog course. Those of you guys, if you haven't seen that yet, that Evan put up, uh, leave one up just this week, like Monday or something. Um, it's excellent. It's really good. Really, really good. Lots of good footage in there. Lots of good commentary, uh, some laughs, some tears. <laughs> it's all in there. So yes, yeah, yes. And you know, as, as a, as a dog trainer, I think it's really important to be taking a lot of footage. Um, and, of, of everything, right? It's nice for your own just just to look back the amount of times over the years that I've said, why does the dog keep doing this behavior? Like, for example, one of them was um, Vega. Vega. You look so weird with your hair up under that hat. I'm so not used to seeing you without like long hair. Don't cut your hair. You it go. doesn't look there good. You go. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, that would be terrible if I did that. Um, so this is my, this is my dog Vega, my black lab and, uh, you know, like a, a standard heel position being like this, nice and square, nice and straight, looks beautiful. But for years she would sit, she would sit like that. And if you are anal retentive and really, or, or you're competing, you, that's not good sideways is not what you're looking for and the reason she would do that break oh yeah oh yeah cool girl oh, okay go back to bed um the reason she would do that is it wasn't her it was me i was i was getting her heel into position and she would come and sit heel see there she started she went back to old habits she would be there and then i would touch my food pouch and she would adjust herself. And she got such into the habit of adjusting herself 
that that became her norm of uh, of sitting crooked like that. And I didn't realize, oh, good girl. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, that I was doing what I was doing, touching the food boat until I started recording myself. So yeah. um, besides recording yourself training to see like, watch yourself and see where's that food hand going? Where's that? Because the dog will pay, is constantly paying such attention to your body language, way more than your voice. And so, you know, seeing those little moments, but also working with dogs in a pack setting the way I do, it's really good uh, to be able to go, what happened there? Like what, you know, you might be, you know, looking this way and something breaks out over here. Well, it's nice to be able to look back and go like, what was that? Or you're working with a dog and you're like, so many people say like, my dog doesn't give any cues. My dog doesn't give any signs. He just lunges. Well, is he not giving the cues? Unlikely. Or are you just not trained to see them? And you won't see them if you don't, if you're not able to slow it down and look back and watch it over and over and over again. It's something that I would highly recommend people doing. Like if it, if it, if it is popular and people are enjoying it, I'll create more, but it's good to be able to go back. And I recommend it in the, in the videos themselves of like, mute this mute the commentary and go back and see what I miss go back and see like focus on just how they're moving and because that's what they're that's how they're speaking constantly your dog does this that means a lot your dog does this that's saying something mm -hmm. so uh being able to identify that because it's not just about your dog it's about seeing it was very obvious to me the other day a dog um was in the field completely quiet totally dog didn't make a peep and I went we are not going over there right now because that dog was giving a lot of clear signals of I'm going to shred all three of you if you come over here. And uh, but for a, for, you know, someone who doesn't spend time looking at these things, they just walk into a field and they get attacked and wonder why, uh, because the dog wasn't lunging and barking and doing all these other things. So it's often the quiet ones that are yeah. scary. So no, yeah. it's good advice. I mean, I, I'm always telling people to record themselves, um, both professional trainers and then also, you know, clients and dog owners because it is it's really really enlightening and and not only um to notice like the little body language things that you do but also especially if if uh, for those who are watching that are professional trainers you will pick up on things in the way that you're explaining stuff um, like maybe you're over explaining things or yeah. little verbal ticks that you do that it will or annoy you so much things appropriate <laughs> things for sure yeah. uh, uh, or sometimes that you'll be explaining something and you wouldn't have seen at the time, but like in, in the video, you can see like the, the dog owner, the client, like glazing over, like they're just not, it's just not connecting. Um, you're not, you're not engaging them. So it's, it's super helpful. One story that I have, that's kind of similar to yours with your dog there um, with Lobo early on. Uh, so a lot of times I would keep him in, we had like a kennel room, like a room with crates in the front end of my building. And you'd come out of that room and there's a hallway that then leads to the training room. And I would come out of that room. And a lot of times I would like put him in a down and then I'd walk into the training room and then I'd turn around and I'd call him to me. And that was sort of like a routine that we did. Didn't do it all the time, but I did it enough. So one day bring him out there. I put him in his down. I walk in the training room. I turn around and I'm about to call him and he starts coming to me. And of course that's a no, no for a dog that we're training to be kind of precise. It's like, okay, we got to go back. And I do it again. And same thing. He starts like right before I call him, he comes to me and I'm like, okay, clearly I've done this pattern too much. And so he's just seeing me turn around and he knows that pattern. He knows I'm going to call him. She's coming anyway. So I'm going to do some reps where 
I bring them out of the room. I put them in a down in the hallway. I go into the training room. I turn around, but I'm not going to call him. I'm just going to walk back to him, pay him, you know, reward right. him, release right. him, do the thing again. So I do that, right? I put him in the down. I go into the training room, not no intention of calling him. He stays perfectly. I return to him, feed him, release him, do that a couple of times. I'm like, okay, so he's doing good. I don't know why he didn't break that time. This time I'm going to go back to calling him again. So I put him in the down. I go in the training room. I turn around. I'm about to call him. He breaks position and starts coming to me. And I'm like, what on earth is going on here? I, did, yeah. I go back and forth with this a bunch of times. And finally, what I figured out that it was, was that, and he's such a perceptive dog. We're talking 20 to 30 feet away. But right before I call him, I take a deeper inhale. That's what he was recalling to. Me going, <gasps> yes. So I had to, I had to proof against only that. I turn around only and, a go, valid oh. one. and then I'd return back and pay him and release right, him. And right, I had right. to, I had to basically proof against that little thing that I was doing that, uh, it was just so hard to know when you're doing those little things and we could sit there and we could yourself, get mad right? at the like dog to, and we can, yeah. no, actually I didn't. I, it took me, it took me 10 times as long because I didn't record myself. <laughs> I probably should have just recorded myself, but yeah. The, uh, it, it's just interesting. And, and yeah, totally, you know, of course we could get frustrated at the dog, but he was actually doing what he had been trained to do right i mean that's yeah you the way dogs learn it. commands is they learn events in a sequence and they respond to the first indication of this sequence of events so he just the first indication was me taking that bigger inhale in that context and that's what he was but what was interesting was i had a seminar not very much long after and there was a guy who was competing in ipg which was just schutzhund at the time and he was having the same issue with his long down for competition where the dog kept breaking. And I said, Hey, try this, just stand there, turn around, take a deep breath. And he did that. And the dog came and I looked like I was just this brilliantly observant human being, but really it was just that I had also made that same mistake with my dog. Well, that's how we learn, right? We got to make mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. So, okay, let's jump into some questions here. I'm going to do one quick that came up on the Facebook group. Um, this is from Ayumi and she's just asking, um, go to forms of exercise specifically for smaller breeds. So other than walking and running, um, she's looking for some options for some clients. She said treadmill could possibly work. The dog's a mini schnauzer. Um, bike riding might be a little bit too much. Do you have any other like go-to ways, um, go-to ways for exercise? So with exercise with, for small dogs. Yeah. Small with, dogs. with, uh, it's, it's, yeah, a lot of little dogs don't get out in the winter. I don't know where in the world this person is, but in the winter or, or like in the, in the South where it's going to be like 190 degrees tomorrow kind of thing you, and you, and you need to be inside. I like to just do little obedience routines, place, break, place, down, place, come, place, down, heel, place, up, 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 up. And you just go back and forth that way. works, works really, really well. Uh, and then you can combine in some higher drive stuff, like a, like a motionousers that, that I've worked with love to tug. And so working in tug and if it's, you know, really small, just being gentle with it and then, you know, can, can doing that controlled stuff. So a lot of times, um, that anticipation will really, really exhaust the dog. If, if I throw a ball or like I'll hide something and let my little terrier mix try to find it, she's just so much more exhausted than if I just throw the ball and she can see it every time. She's hunting and sniffing and hunting and sniffing. So there's some suggestions. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of, um, I was just talking, I was just on a, on a Zoom call um, and I was just talking to somebody about 
using the nose, using sniffing and searching and hunting and just how powerful that is and how much of the brain of, for, of the dog gets activated with that because that's their primary way of knowing the world is through their nose. And so when we're looking for efficient ways to provide enrichment and stimulation, I love nose work and I love it for so many reasons, but you know, it's like any dog can do it. You can do it inside. You can do it outside. You can do it in a tiny apartment. You can do it in a giant house and it's, and it's super fun. And you can do it in a way that it's interactive and cooperative with us humans as well. So it can be a great way to just bond and, you know, yeah, great learning experience for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that a lot of people don't know about dogs is that the way they smell is in 3D plus uh, duration of time and all these other things. So they can smell distance, they can smell the age of something. And it gives like the way that you're seeing the world with your eyes, they have that with their nose. And so oftentimes- And they can parse out different smells. Like like we'll smell like, oh, you're cooking a barbecue. They're like, oh, you're cooking meat and corn and peppers. And there's a guy there with dirty underwear and (laughs) like they can pull out all those individual smells, which is really wild. And they smell it fresh every inhale too. So when your dog is locked onto a smell and you're like, God, you've been smelling this friggin' pole for the past five minutes or, you know, whatever it is, is every breath that they take is a new inhale. It's not where you walk into an apartment and five minutes later, you're like, yeah, everything just you don't even notice the cooking anymore. The every smell for them is new. So sometimes letting your dog just smell the pole for for a couple of minutes is is going to be very is very rewarding for them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, huge fan of huge fan of the hunting, the nose work, um, especially for a schnauzer. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Okay, we got a few questions here um, about reactivity, and you've got the um, reactive to romance course on consider the dog too. So this should be, should be pretty good here for you to answer. So um, one here from a new member, uh, tag name here is CD Bull and Bear. So um, he or she says, we've got a reactive pity for training um, and uh, she needs help. He or she needs help. Says the dog refuses to go into the crate, not a biter, but uh, the person's pretty exposed to possibly getting bit. How do they get him in the crate? And then P.S. It's the second day. So I'm, this person's, I think this person's a professional trainer. It's the second day they have the dog and they're building relationship. They're a balanced trainer. Don't want to be too heavy handed. Um, should they work on getting him in the crate later? Et cetera, et cetera. Any thoughts on mm-hmm. dealing with a dog? So, so it sounds like the person's doing a board and train and they're having a hard time with the dog. Uh, lots of things. One, I mean, I'm a huge fan of getting the dog to work for their food. hundred percent of their food comes from your hand, whether it's raw, whether it's kibble, the dog does not eat unless it's coming from you, uh, or an indirect reward from you. And so the other thing is I, I did board and trains for a long time and a lot of dogs and, and mostly me, I only, uh, ever had, you know, two staff at, at most. And so I've worked a lot of dogs uh, over the years. And what I learned was the best thing when I would start a board and train was I would get the person to fast their dog. So not feed them the day of the board and train that they, that they were going to drop off. So you could feed the dog the day before in the morning, but no 
evening meal, not the day of. And then when the dog would come to me, I also wouldn't feed them that day. Now I've got a background in nutrition and understand that fasting is one of the best things that you can do for your dog longevity wise. But you also have to understand from the dog's perspective is that they are stressed out when they come to a new environment, especially to stay and their humans are leaving. You've cut off their pack dynamic. You're trying to bond with this dog and it's trying to digest a heavily processed food you're most likely just going to get diarrhea, right? You got new water, you got new smells, you got new context, you got new people, just stress. So besides the fact that health-wise, it's amazing for your dog uh, or for this new dog, you also have a dog that's going to be supercharged for day one or day two of your board and train. So then getting them into the crate is is one part of the battle, but it, what's really important with crate training is that they get to come out right away. So not to put them in and lock them in. So they go in, they come out, they go in, they come out, they go in, they come out. But having the right type of crate is another part of, of the equation. So you've got wire crates, you've got plastic crates, you've got cloth crates, you've got kennels, right? Like stand up. Um, it looks like you have the, um, I used to have those too, the Mason Company kennels. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so yes. you've got those, which are nice because you can walk in with the dog and walk. Yes, but, so much easier. Uh, they're also really expensive. So, you know, it, it's unlike, you know, it's less likely that you'll have that. You've got zinger wingers, you've got all kinds of, my favorite was the plastic crates to start the dog off on the concept, cut the crate in half, right? Yep. So yep. you take the top half off and you're teaching the dog place in there. But the other thing you can do is if you take almond butter, and I say almond butter as opposed to peanut butter, because peanut butter is like your typical craft peanut butter is really, really high in sugar versus like your dog can have just about, can have every nut other than macadamia. So almond butter is going to be most common. You get some more organic almond butter to something also a dog is very likely to have had in the past and just scrape a little bit at the front of it and then scrape a little bit at the side. So now the dog's like, get me in that thing and they're licking and then they just get to come out again, but they come out on break to food as well. And then you can start throwing food in and food out. And then you can put the kennel top on, but don't put it on and, and leave it unscrewed because then the dog's gonna learn, I can knock this top off. Then you're teaching the behavior of like destroy the kennel, um, but it's very challenging. And then uh, I've, I've been there where dogs are completely uncrate trained, which if you're doing a board and train as someone who's had a lot of sleepless nights with dogs that weren't crate trained as a, as if you want to do a board and train with me, your dog has to be crate trained first. I'm not taking your dog if they're not crate trained because then your dog, the dog gets to do it over weeks or months of in their home, in their own environment. And then that person takes that crate with them. Now the dog has a safe, secure place that they can come to as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice about having them crate trained first. Um, and I, I actually know several other colleagues of mine that do the same thing. They require the dog to be crate trained ahead of time, especially if you're doing board and trains out of your house. Um, but yeah, the, the put the crate in half idea, that was, that was gonna be my suggestion. That's a great one. If you're using crates, um, Definitely like the day that we upgraded to walk-in kennels, the Mason kennels was like, yeah, exactly. oh man, was that so nice. Yeah, so much. And the so tempered glass, so they're not like, if they do scratch, yep. they're not hurting their paws. They're no, it's wonderful. Yeah, no injuries, clean. no nothing. But the, you know, the, but the one thing that, and like you kind of touched on this, but I just want to sort of reiterate it mm -hmm. is, you know, I think a, a lot of trainers, and again, I, I do a lot of consulting with professional trainers and 
we're so kind of indoctrinated with like, what is dog training and what are we supposed to be working on? We're supposed to be working on our sit and our down and our come and this and that. But the, the, the concept of like how to go in and out of the crate or the kennel, because even with the Mason kennel, sometimes there are dogs that are really pushy about coming out or weird about going in or whatever. And for me, if that's the issue, then that's going to be the first thing that I work on. And those are going to be training sessions. So it's not like it's going to be, okay, I've got to get this dog out for a session of working on heel. And then I've got to get them back in the crate. It's like, no, our training sessions are going to be totally about just getting in and out of the crate. And I'm not even going to worry about sit down, stay heel until we've got that dialed in because otherwise the start and end of every training session is going to be this sort of big emotional event. And we just don't want that, but also it makes the crate then becomes this sort of secondary thing instead of making it a primary thing. And once you get the dog through that, they're going to be, you're like, you're going to have developed your relationship. You're going to have developed communication skills. You're going to have developed a sense of trust and respect mutually between you and the dog. And you're going to be on a better path forward to teach those other things versus you're trying to teach those other things. But in between every training session, you're, you've got to fight with the dog. And that's going to interfere with your ability to teach the stuff that even though you might think those things are really important. So for me, um, I, it's just going to be like, that's going to be my focus and I'm just going to do the reps and put the time in and not treat it as a secondary thing. I'm going to treat it as a primary thing, you know? Yeah. That's all I I ever worked on when I had board and dreams in the crate, out of the crate, in the crate, out of the crate, in the crate, out of the crate, in the crate, over and over and over play in the crate, out of the crate, in the crate, let's go play in the crate, out of the crate. Yeah. 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 So that day one, they're just like in the go. Yeah. Okay. So on the topic of reactivity, uh, we have a question here from Pam and Pam is asking how, or are you able to differentiate between a dog who's pulling and barking out of fear versus pulling and barking out of aggression when they see another dog? I've got my own thoughts on this. I'm going to let you sort of take it away though. Mm. Um, is so just to reiterate the question is it pam um so pam wants to know can you tell if the dog is just being reactive or the dog is just being aggressive is that the is that the gist yeah if it's if it's doing this behavior the pulling and the barking whatever we want to call that if it's doing that behavior out of fear versus out of aggression Hmm. i think what's interesting when people want to bring up fear is if I say fear, are you going to then go, okay, well, we can't do anything about it because the poor animal's scared. That's the part that I always have had uh, want to know from the client because we just need to come to the consensus that regardless of why the dog's doing it, we can't have that. This is, a, this is inappropriate. You can't act that way, whether you're terrified uh, or the dog is you know, just getting off on the behavior. And so often I've, it's been very rare, Pam, that I've actually seen a truly fear aggressive dog, a dog that said, I'm going to get you before you get me. And that's really what fear aggression is for me is I'm going to get you before you get me versus an insecure dog that goes, this has really worked for me in the past. I'm going to lose my mind at something or someone, and I'm going to get flooded with all of this dopamine and maybe adrenaline and all these other things and you're going to move away and that's going to be fun for me it almost becomes a game versus you know uh, if you walk, walk straight up to that dog they might not do anything and they'll actually back away and then bark at you and whatnot so 
there are there are definitely ways to tell you can hear it in their voice you can hear it in how fast they're barking how slow they're barking um, in their posture whether they're they're pouncing as they're doing it uh, and typically the most serious dogs will make will make perfect eye contact and they will just lock in and if they are barking it's this steady intense uh, forward motion, head down kind of thing. So there can be a lot of things body language wise. But for me, I go as a trainer, I go, I'm, I'm never a hundred percent. I've got my suspicions, but I'm never a hundred percent. I think that's really important as a trainer is it's okay to not know everything all the time. But if you keep safety as a priority and um, and there, and the outcome, what's the outcome that we're looking for? We don't have to worry so much about when you're, um, I was just talking to one of my coaching clients about this, uh, uh, another trainer, as long as you're prepared to balance the behavior afterwards, as in, Hey, you're not allowed to do this. There's consequences for these actions. But then if the dog is insecure and then stops that outward trajectory of just blah, 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 then you can balance it once they're calm with, Hey, the stranger is going to bring you tripe treats and liver and all this other stuff. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an important, I mean, I, I love what you said about, you know, what happens if I say the answer is fear, like, how does that, how does that affect you? Cause that is yeah. a, a big concern. One thing that I was going to say here too, and it kind of plays into what you're, what you're talking about is, is this is a question that I know I get a lot. And this actually just came up with another one of the professionals that I, that I coached the other day as well. A very similar question, not regarding to barking and lunging, but it was a dog who on the walk, all of a sudden, like just puts on the brakes and is like, nope, not going any further. And she was saying, you know, how do I know if the dog's doing that because he's, he's, you know, fearful or because he's just being stubborn and kind of part of my answer was, does it matter that much? Like right now in this moment, does it matter that much? Um, because what we have to say is what is the dog doing and in what ways can I sort of influence that? Like, so that's why, like when you were clarifying the behavior, like, you know, what you said is Pam asking when the dog's being reactive. And I said, well, she's asking if the dog's pulling and barking, whatever we want to call that, because mm. let's just focus on the observable behavior of sure. what we see and not worry as much about how we're going to label it. Yep. Oh, we've got visitors. We've yeah, got yeah. visitors <laughs> behind. Oh, they're gone. Oh, no. Oh, there they are. Okay. Uh, so, the, the um, but the thing that I, I was just going to say is, um, uh, aggression is like one of these things that if you ask 10 different trainers to define aggression, you're going to get 10 different answers. And it's not mm -hmm. even really that there's a right or wrong answer, even among if you ask a behaviorist to define aggression, you might get a different answer than if you ask an ethologist to define aggression and both could be PhDs. So it's not like a right or wrong thing. It's just, there are different ways we can define that. And so I tend to lean on the more ethology based definition What's of ethology? it. Ethology. It's a great question, Evan. Ethology um, is the study of animals in their natural setting. Oh, so cool. as opposed to like most of behaviorism studies animals in a very controlled setting, like you bring mm -hmm. them into a, a laboratory and a very right. sterile environment and then run certain experiments and see what happens if I, you know, turn on this light bulb and then electrically stimulate this rabbit's eyeball. Let me see what happens. Ethologists study animals in nature. Um, and so you could argue that 
in canine ethology, that would be the study of animals living with humans because, or dogs living with humans because that's their natural habitat, right? It's living with right. us. Or in, on the outskirts in third world countries, the, the more feral dogs. But anyway, the, the, the more ethology-based definition of aggression, which is the one that I tend to use, again, I'm not saying it's the only right answer, but it's the one that I tend to use, is simply any behavior that is aimed to hurt, harm, injure, or scare away a conspecific. Conspecific generally means same species. When we're talking about dogs, I and many other people will expand that to their own species and humans because they live with us as well. We become part of their families. So hurt, harm, scare away, injure, or kill a conspecific. Um, And that's very important because predatory behavior under this definition is not considered aggression. Different. It's predatory behavior. It's It's predation. It's not aggression. So, um, and in that sense, you know, whether the dog's being dominant or fearful or whatever, we can look at the behavior itself and say, well, what is this? Why is the dog doing this? Mm. Unless it's just, hey, I'm frustrated that I'm on a leash. I really want to get to you to play, but I'm frustrated. Like you see some dogs that are on a tether and they see their favorite ball and they're barking because they can't reach the ball. Some yeah. dogs will do that towards other dogs, right? I got to get to that dog and I can't. But most reactivity is what you said. It's a dog who's feeling a little unsure and probably wants that other dog to just keep a distance or go away, right? So they're yeah. trying to scare away doesn't necessarily mean they want to hurt it or injure it or kill it. In fact, a lot of these dogs wouldn't actually fight if given the chance. They really just want to create distance. But under this definition, that is still considered aggressive behavior. That's right? scaring it's away. Still, it's scaring away. It's aggressive behavior. Again, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's the only right answer. It's just that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. definition I tend to use. And so, again, there could be various reasons for that. I agree with you, though. The vast majority of these dogs, it's it's that little bit of uncertainty. It's that little bit of insecurity. And again, fear is a tricky word because, you know, confidence or lack thereof is a very colorful spectrum. And yeah. often when we talk about fear, that often brings us to like one polarity of that spectrum. Yeah. And so I much prefer to use words like the dog is feeling unsure, the dog is feeling uncertain, the dog is feeling insecure because it allows for us to understand that this, your dog might kind of like other dogs, but also feel a little bit unsure about a new dog walking straight on face to face directly at them. Um, and so, but again, like when we talk about this, you like, I agree with you hundred percent. Can we ever really know? Not really. You can sometimes find out more when you do allow the dogs to socialize, you can read more in their body language. It's hard to tell when they're exploding. Part of the reason it's hard to tell when they're exploding is the other interesting thing in ethology and um, I know Roger Abrantes, who's a really well-known contemporary ethologist, talks about this a lot. The term fear aggression is actually sort of like an oxymoron because from, a, from that standpoint, from like a body language standpoint, fear and aggression cannot coexist at the same time. Yeah. So it could be that, that fear preceded the aggression, which I think is what most people mean when they say fear yeah. aggression. Yeah. But the idea of fear and aggression coexisting in the exact same moment mm. doesn't ever really happen because the dog is behaving fearfully. Then at some point it flips the switch and goes into aggression mode, which is yeah. very forward. And so that's why I think a lot of people, they see their dog lunging and barking on the leash and you tell them like, Hey, I think your dog's kind of un- feeling uncertain about this. They're like, Oh no, no, no. Cause look at him. He's trying to get to him. And it's like, yeah, but mm. You know, and just I, because and it's, I know there's it's not a lot existing of, right in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's tricky. It's, it's a tricky concept. It, it is tricky. And I think the, the biggest lesson for dog trainers and, and pet parents out there that I've learned over the years is don't argue. <laughs> there's, 
this is if is this a behavior consult or are we trying to get to the are we trying to actually like move on from this because exactly i don't care i don't care if it's fear aggression i don't care whatever don't do that i can't i can't have you act in this way i can't take you out in public it's embarrassing it's awkward it's dangerous uh, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. So whether it's fear aggression or the dog's just blowing up and having a good time, whatever, let's move past it. And you will lose a lot of clients if you go, this isn't fear aggression, here's why. It doesn't matter. If your goal yeah, is, and you can matter. communicate to the person, hey, if are you comfortable with making your dog uncomfortable to teach them that you're not allowed to do this and then rewarding them when they choose a better behavior? Or are you... Or are you more concerned about your dog just being scared and trying to comfort them even more? Because that's not going to change the behavior. Coddling your dog when they're losing their mind is probably going to get you bit in the face. Um, sure. And as someone who's been bit in the face twice as a child, I can, I can tell you don't try to hug a dog that's lunging and barking. Uh, I think we talked experience. once about our matching dimples that we have from being <laughs> yes. bit in the face as kids. Yeah. All right. Dimple, dimple bros. Um, yeah. So it, you know, in that body language course that I just did, I talk about that. <sighs> you hear the yip kind of come out. And that's typically, in my experience, a much more playful thing, much more like it's it's just frustration. But ultimately, when they get to the other dog, um, they're not going to bite first and ask questions. Second, they're going to smell first. Then they might then they might act a fool. But uh, yeah, it, 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 when you get that guttural mm, in that bark, it, it's a, it's typically a lot more serious, but there's also breeds of dogs that sound guttural no matter what they do, like Roddy's are, are, yeah. always, are always very deep, intense dogs. Uh, but, but if you spend a lot of time with Rottweilers, you'll also hear there is a change in that inflection as well. So yeah, keep and, it safe. You know, my experience too is like fences. a lot of these really confident dogs, um, you don't really see a lot of leash reactivity that, that in like dogs that are very confident around other dogs yeah, where you absolutely. might see them get reactive is more like on their own property, a more territorial type behavior. And that's where you'll see again, that like, like, like you mentioned that kind of like bouncing kind of very rhythmic barking that you'll get as opposed to the kind of chaotic barking that you tend to hear <laughs> with reactivity. Yeah. So um, it's just nothing that we see a lot. Hey listeners, just a quick reminder, these podcasts are created from archived recordings of live sessions where members of our community can ask questions and interact with our instructors in real time. If you'd like to be part of the discussion, visit considerthedog.com and use code CTDPODCAST to get 50% off your first three months. That's three months for $10 a month. And you have access to not only these live sessions, but also our library of hundreds of exclusive videos and courses on dog behavior. Again, visit considerthedog.com and use code CTDPODCAST. Let's get back to the show. But speaking of like being in the yards and territory and fences, so we have another question here from Dana, again, kind of on the same topic here, but it's she's got Hi, a three-month-old three month puppy. Um, who does a lot of barking and trying to get to people and other dogs that walk by the yard. And he's overexcited and overwhelmed. Um, but when he does greet, he kind of panics. So he'll bark as they walk by. And she doesn't want the barking reinforced as the thing that makes the people walk away. Um, and then the puppy works for his food. He's a bohemian shepherd. I don't know what that is, but I have all kinds of really cool images in my mind right now of a bohemian, of a bohemian he's shepherd. Like, he's he's, he's like, this like uh, traveling gypsy type shepherd. Yeah. 
Yeah. Beads in his hair. And... <laughs> I've never heard of that one. There's so many. A lot of I'm not. A, I, I'm not. I'm not a breed guy, so don't take offense to that. I don't generally don't. So pay it much looks like a. Breed. It looks like a Traverne mixed with a shepherd. Oh, and then there's a little add-on here. The three-month-old puppy is experiencing. She thinks experiencing frustration and insecurity. Um, with cars on the street, people and dogs appear suddenly in close proximity. Bark at people or dogs. She's in football field. Okay. Okay. I think we got the idea. So yeah, really young dog here. And sometimes that changes things, right? When we're dealing with a three month old puppy versus an adult dog, and then also on the property versus out on a walk. So, I mean, yeah. What do you have to say for somebody who's got a three month old puppy that's already starting to show these things? Obviously we, we don't want to just let them go unchecked, but we also want to be sensitive to the dog's age. Yeah. And to their breed. I say this a lot to people is like, you bought a shepherd. You know, like it, the dog, the dog's going to be a lot barkier than if you, if, if you got one of those, that's, that's not a lump that well, it's kind of a lump. It's the black lab. She's, you know, but she, you know, behaviors can be learned too. She went to a boarding kennel and came back a barker when she gets frustrated if she's outside and wants to come in. So you have a shepherd. It is genetically programmed to be barking at things when, when they go by some people in the comments are going to be like, I've got a shepherd that never barks. Congratulations. That happens too. There are shep there are labs that never never stop barking as well. So we got to be sensitive to the fact that like this is the kind of dog you bought. He's young, um, and it doesn't mean that there's nothing to do. It doesn't throw in the towel. It just means be aware and be sensitive to the fact that this is a this is a dog. Because some people say things like I never want my dog to bark. Well, then rehome him to a good home and get a cat. Like. Come on, you, you got a dog. It's it's th that's like saying, um, I don't know, whatever. It, it, there's no analogy needed here. So being sensitive to the fact that it's a dog, he's young, he's excited. Food, exercise, and training are always there's it's always a combination for me. So what are you feeding them? Because the more processed food that goes into their body, that get the sugar high, that comes out. So adding in natural foods to balance out natural fats to balance out those sugars one how much exercise is he getting he's only three months old you don't want to overdo it on things like concrete and cement but there's or like jumping off of things where he's where he's developing uh, but grass is pretty safe to to tucker him out and then in terms of training um you know, you might be in an age and a stage where you can really get his attention because they're so food motivated when they're young that, like you said, getting him to work for his food and then setting up the behavior is one of the things that we all need to do more of, right? It's like, I need to put some time aside to call some friends to go, can you come by and not walk by when my dog starts, you know, not keep going, um, or actually come in when he calms down. So that way the dog is getting rewarded for that behavior. Um, so, you know, you, you really have four options. Do I correct it? Ooh, he's a, he's a, he's a puppy. You, if you're going to correct it, you might use something gentle, like a, a, a spritz bottle uh, can work really well. I'm not a fan of the bonk of rolling up a hand towel and, and whacking the dog with that. I think that's, that's way too much. Um, but a spray bottle, you can redirect, you could avoid it uh, by not having him out in that front part especially during busy times but that'll come back to to bite you probably and then you can ignore it you could have him uh just barking his head off which uh you don't want otherwise you wouldn't ask the question but you always have those four options ignore avoid redirect 
and correct. So I wouldn't be opposed to a little bit of spritz of water to be like, hey, I actually don't want that. And then when the dog stops and gives you attention, balancing that out, the redirect, I would just keep his attention with the food. And when he, after the person walks by, what a lot of people do with food is the dog, someone's coming, the dog starts barking, you redirect the food, feed the dog, and then the person hasn't gone by. So then the dog starts losing it again. So rather than holding and, and baiting the dog, so like having the food and like, oh, here's the food, oh, here's the food, oh, here's the food, to keep their, intent, keep their attention because it's that anticipation is better for the dog. There's more dopamine released in the anticipation than actually receiving the treat. So that's, those are my thoughts. What about you? What do you got? Yeah. You know, it's a tricky thing. I think, you know, I think that thinking about what is our long-term goal here is super important too, because again, like you mentioned, it's a shepherd. And if it is like a front yard or a corner yard where it's unavoidably, the dog's going to be in the yard and see people walking by, like, are we, is our goal that the dog doesn't ever bark at people walking by? And that might be a really tricky goal to achieve, or are we more concerned with just the socialization of the dog? And is this barking at people going by um, sort of a, like a red flag towards a, a, a deeper problem, perhaps that like, I don't want my dog to grow up thinking that people are bad and that it barks at people and they go away and that this leads to other things that eventually when people come in the yard, the dog either is trying to nip at them or is fearful of them or whatever. So, um, cause it's, it, it, like in the question, that's a little bit unclear. And um, so I think, you know, definitely it's really worth taking the time and working on that socialization piece, which again, like you mentioned, the setup, having people come over, having people maybe walk, you know, outside the yard and just sort of hang out there and the dog comes down and then maybe they just stand like right outside the fence. The dog can kind of sniff them through the fence, but they're not trying to interact with the dog. They're just sort of there. And the dog learns like, okay, this isn't bad. This person's not causing any harm. Um, if we do Especially want the dog to do something old, right? Yeah. Like three months old. And then so, eventually so they enter the yard. Yeah. They just sort of can be around the people. So getting enough of that exposure. Um, so it's not just this constant practice of like early signs of territorialism, but just making sure that we are getting enough socialization so that even if the dog's going to bark, that it generally doesn't think that people are awful. It's just barking because it's what it does. But if you invite somebody into the yard, it's not a major problem. And so prioritizing that as again, like a training thing, just like we talked earlier about prioritizing going in and out of the kennel. It's like maybe for this dog right now, sure, it would be nice to spend time working on sit or work, spend time working on down, but maybe we just need to spend time working on, hey, what do we expect from you when somebody enters the yard or when we enter the yard with somebody else? And just making sure we get the reps of that in, because I think that's the biggest problem with this is yep. when we just wait for it to occur, like we just put the dog in the yard, we wait for somebody to walk by, you, you kind of have one shot to get it right with any one person walking by and then they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if we have a friend do it and the dog doesn't get it right the first time we say, okay, like walk away, like, wait a minute, let's try this again. And we can get some reps in and we can teach our dog and we can give that little spritz of water. If they do the wrong thing, give that reward when they do the right thing. And then especially once they start doing it right. And this is so huge. And I talk about this all the time, but, and this is really big. Anytime we're using any kind of correction is the tendency is like, okay, let's just say, let's say we're going to have somebody approach the gate the person approaches the dog starts barking. We spritz them with water. We go, okay walk away. Let's try it again. Person approaches, dog barks, we spritz him with water. Okay. Walk away. We do that two, three times. Maybe on the fourth time, the person walks up and the dog doesn't bark. 
and we give some treats. And then a lot of times we immediately go, okay, what's next then? So maybe now the person's going to come all the way in the yard, or now I'm going to have them walk up faster, and I'm going to have them walk up a bang on the gate. And we never just give the dog a chance to practice doing it the right way over and over and over and over again, and get really confident in mm. what decisions avoid the, the correction or avoid the, the punishment, what decisions lead to treats, and that this whole event doesn't have to be stressful or you know make them feel uncertain or anything else. So getting those reps in before we sort of move to the next step and just letting the dog practice doing it the right way to me is it's so big and it's so often overlooked even by like experienced professionals. Like I I actually see this a lot from experienced professionals. So it's something that we really want to make sure sometimes it feels like we're not accomplishing anything at that point. I think our human tendency is like, well, if we don't see the problem, then we're not fixing the problem. Yeah. But it's actually those reps where you don't see the problem. Those are the most important ones. Those, those are, that's where you, you want to spend some good time there. And especially with a young pup, let the dog get really confident. Okay. This choice led to this, but this other choice leads to good things. And one rep of that, two reps of that isn't enough to solidify that knowledge, yeah. you know, get a dozen reps of that in before you try to move on to something else. I think is super, super important. So remembering that doing nothing is doing something. Yeah. And so, you know, you might not, like you said, you might not see the behavior. Well, great. Reinforce it. Good job for doing yeah. nothing. Your dog is reinforcing a non-reaction is so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. And the dog yeah. might not clue in initially, but they'll, st- they will over time, right? They're very, they're very observant. They're very smart. They don't have to worry about their TikTok account. Right. So they're like, they're actually taking in the world. They're not doing this. So yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Okay. We've got time for a couple more. We've got a lot of questions here, so we're not going to get to everybody. So many questions. Rap, rap, rapid fire. Ooh. All right. Let me look through some of these. Just make sure we get some, let's get some uh, variation here. Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys, bear with me. We've got a lot of questions. I just want to make sure some of these are comments about other questions. Oh, here's an easy, quick one. And uh, before I ask you this, I'm going to just get Jake's attention to put your answer into the comments section for us. But Sage is asking for a good link for information about nutrition for dogs. Do you have any good links, good places to look? The, the, The easiest, fastest place to go is to Planet Paws on Facebook. It's the number one pet food blogger in the world. He lives across the water from me here, Rodney Habib. And then he's paired up with Dr. Karen Becker. So uh, one of the top most recognized vets in the world. And so Planet Paws on, on Facebook, they'll be able to send you in the right direction. They also have a paid group as well. It's 10 bucks a month, totally worth the money. Cool. Yeah, Rodney's super well-respected. I saw him speak. You were there at the IACP conference many years ago. Yeah. And um, really That's impressed where I met him with- for the first time. Yeah, I was really impressed with him, um, his professionalism, his scope of knowledge, um, really, really intelligent guy. Um, okay, let's see here. So, uh, boy, so much aggression. Man, the world is plagued with aggression. So, okay, here's one that's a little bit different. Alexander wants to know, do you have any go-to leash handling exercises? Yeah. And this could be either for you starting a new dog or maybe even to teach a new handler to help them develop their leash handling. Um, yeah, I do. So I teach a lot. You can still hear me. I'm just getting yep. my leash. Yep. Yep. So I teach a lot online. I've got clients 
all over, just like Mr. Mudo. Um, and so I, it, like my dogs aren't gonna behave in this space the way they would outside, but I'm not taking my computer set up outside for this. So I use my fancy little rolly chair here. And I used to have another chair and I'd put my little dog itself logo on the front. That's the dog's face and that's the dog's back. But um, so I teach a lot with this little chair right here. And my favorite go-to uh, leash technique would be, I mean, first of all, to remember that your thumb here uh, is, is, is a great locking mechanism. And then, so the thing that I'm working with, with, uh, so that way your, your clients are, if you, if you're doing this with the leash, <laughs> you, you pay attention. Okay. Uh, because you're that, this is a much more effective lock. So oftentimes people will, you're walking the dog on one side. If the dog's all over the place, nice to teach them one side. Uh, this is a biothane leash. So it, it does grip pretty well, but having that loop, having a little J in your leash, uh, is a nice sign that the leash is in fact slack. Okay. So having, you can see that there's a little J right there. So when you get that, you can tie a knot, especially if you're not using an effective tool, like a, a prong collar or a gentle leader, uh, and you are still struggling a little bit, having a knot there to just give your hand that muscle memory. And then when I'm working with clients, we'll practice before we ever go anywhere is I'll, I'll give my client a verbal cue and teach them, I'll, I'll say something like slide it up. So slide it up means go take your left hand and put it under your right hand. So now you're strong, you're secure, you're at your core, which is the strongest, this and your glutes are the strongest part of your body. So if that dog launches, you're much stronger than if you're trying to hold on with one shoulder, okay? So that's something that we work on a lot is if I can get the dog to pay attention to me and want to be in this bubble, it's much more effective uh, than constantly trying to draw them back, draw them back. So what I'll do is, good girl, is I'll teach people if the dog goes to lunge, slide it up so that the person is strong and then walk backwards or stay still then slide back to your knot, go forward again and keep going. Dog launches out. So oftentimes, and it's not about the dog going whack and hitting the end of the leash. I mean, if they do that, it, it, it can happen. But um, is if the dog wants to go this way, I go backwards this way. Then the dog runs past me this way and I turn and go this way. And my goal is for us to walk together. But if the dog is just boom, 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 running all over the place like a wild animal, I just call them back, come. And then the dog runs past me here. And so giving my clients that verbal cue of slide it up here often really helps them uh, get that physical control. Because if you've got even small dogs are extremely powerful. So having that little knot there established after you figure out where your J is in the leash, this like this, and then underneath nice and strong. Nice. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. It kind of looked like you were dancing there with your stool for a minute. I think, I think, I think my best maybe market. there's a slide it up music video in order. Sure. Perhaps slide it, slide it up. Do, 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 do. Now slide it up. Find the knot. Slide if you it haven't, up. you guys, it, it, seriously, if you haven't been to Evan's dogged style Facebook page and just seen some of the content that's there, I highly recommend you do it. I caught the, um, 
the International Women's Day song <laughs> that you did was, that was, that was um, a good one. moving. I mean, it was moving, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really do yourself a favor if you haven't. Go to Doggett Style on Facebook. Just put in the search bar. Obviously, you know, follow his page because because I said so. Uh, but the content there is is excellent, and the music videos that you've done are just phenomenal. There's a, there's, there's there's four recorded song, four th- three or four more recorded songs that uh, are are coming out to a dog training site near you. Oh man! All right, okay. Let's see here. I got we got one more. We can do one more. Let's see. Sure. And thanks so much, guys, for showing up here. Uh, Next time, Tyler, I want to see the comments as well, so that way I can call people out. But um, I, I'm 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 really humbled to be able to to do this thing. It's 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 really fun, and I really appreciate you guys showing up and uh, engaging with us. It's it's a lot of fun. So thanks for being here. Okay, let's see. So oh man, this couple. Okay. Let's do this. I, I, so there's a really good question here from Vince about resource guarding. I think maybe Vince, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Jake to save this question because um, I think it just requires a little bit more time than we have left. But it's a good question. So Jake, take this question from Vince and copy it into our, into our list for next time. But um, which also means Vince, you got to join us next time or at least watch the recording because we'll we'll get to this question. But um, this yeah, one should be relatively is deep. Re- resource guarding yeah. is, is a dynamic deep rooted, lots of angles to approach it from kind of issues. So that's, that's a good call. But this one's a little bit more straightforward. And I'm curious to hear your answer to this because the, the question is from Woo, W-O-O. Um, when do you recommend that a dog needs a board and train? And do you have a criteria? Good one for dogs with like serious reactivity aggression. And the reason I'm interested here is because you don't do board and trains anymore, right? So do you ever encounter dogs where you're like, hey, this dog, like you need to find a person in your area and this dog really needs to go somewhere and have some time away from you and that kind of stuff. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So truly human aggressive dogs. Um, I would, I would say you need, you, you need hands, you, you, you need professional hands to help you through that. Because if you can't, if you can't touch your own dog, if you, and there's, that's it, not to say that you can't make massive leaps and bounds, um, even training this way. Like I've got clients that have human aggressive, like their own dog is biting them. I had a young couple from Saskatchewan where it was like, if she walked into the room, there was a 50, 50 chance that border collie was going to like come at her. Uh, and they're, they're happy and things are good and life is good. So it's not to say that it's a must, but like, if you're an inexperienced trainer and this really intimidates you and you're dealing with genuine human aggression, and then there's, um, and then there's the, because there's so many reps that need to happen in order. Once you actually get the dog to not bite people anymore, that's only like a third of the equation. Then you have to reintegrate them so that they make better choices and ideally hope for a positive so that they avoid this outward aggression but then they actually look to strangers as like hey maybe i'm going to get something good that's where that's the way i always took human aggressive dogs and there's been very few that weren't like yay strangers afterwards there's been a few that were just genuinely unhappy dogs 
but I didn't, I also back then didn't know what I know now, which is it's never just the behavior. And the most aggressive dogs I've ever had all had dental issues. Every one of them had something going on with their teeth. And as someone who's had a tooth go abscessed and the dentist couldn't figure out what the problem was, oh, I was angry. <laughs> I very much sympathize with those dogs. Food, exercise, obedience, you know, dealing with the unwanted behavior. So human aggressive dogs and then dogs that need to live with a pack of other dogs on a regular basis. So real like dogs that just are, are like wicked insecure and the people are really hopeful that they can do that. Now, the thing with a board and train is if you aren't also offering like a daycare or whatever, they're only going to get used to those dogs again. So it's only going to get slightly better. And I just did a, a video for YouTube with this where like getting another dog isn't going to solve your problem. Um, because I've had seven dogs of my own, but like, because my pack was always changing when I would have a dog aggressive dog and it would come in, uh, I was able to, it was like, and now you're meeting a new one. And now you're meeting a new one. It wasn't just my same two to seven dogs kind of thing. So really aggressive. And, and we're not seeing the other, like we're not able to, to get the results uh, and really, yeah, just severe aggression. I would say wrapping that. Yeah. Up. I think the dogs other one too fighting. is, is um, it's kind of more about the people sometimes, right? So with the aggression, well, this like, is the especially point. If, are the people able to do the reps or not, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Like, like with the aggression, you know, also like are the people, if people are afraid of their own dog, a lot of times there needs to be some separation. Like if they're like genuinely fearful, like obviously if your dog's bitten you in the past, you're going to have a little bit of nervousness in certain contexts. But if you're like, no, like, of course, like if he looks like he's going to bite me, like my heart rate goes up, but like, I'll put on some thick gloves and a sweatshirt and like, let's get the work done and, or I can muzzle them and let's get the work done. But I've seen some people that are like really almost like PTSD, like they're shell shocked yeah. around their yeah. own dog's aggression. And in those cases, regardless of the severity of the dog, sometimes we need to separate. And then there's just the people, it could just be a happy go lucky dog. that just needs obedience training, but the people literally like, you know, they've got four kids and jobs and it's just not going to happen at home. And, and those are the yeah. other times where it's just, is this realistic that this is going to happen at home? But um, yeah, yeah. Other than, other than those that, people, because it, the people you know. don't need to, they don't need to, it doesn't need to be a perfect situation all the time. Sometimes, yeah, they want the thing. And just like, you know, I wanted the guitar, but I don't play it. Like it, it, it's sometimes you have to ask the people, but like, are you going to be able to maintain it? Did you, is this, is this really what's going to be best for the dog? Um, asking someone to rehome a dog or, or not asking them to, but suggesting that it's an option. Cause a lot of people think that just because you get a dog that that is because it's so much, so much out there, you're committed to this dog for the rest of its life. And if you rehome this dog, you're a horrible person. And yeah, that's, that's BS. Like, what about you? What about yeah, your rehoming about dogs your is family? very stigmatized in our culture. Very oh, stigmatized. It's brutal. And I've had seven dogs. I have three now. You know, some of them have, you know, one of the, one of them has died, but I've gone through way more than seven. I just had seven at one time. It's just, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for my family. And I spent a lot of time finding them a better home and they're way happier. They're of course they're happier because they're able to have more time with their people. The people have the right lifestyle for that dog. I think it's, it's an option. It doesn't need to just go like 
keep the dog and be miserable and live a very structured, not that miserable and structured should be the same sentence, but potentially for some people and how they live and, and, and euthanizing there's, there's a, there's a healthy uh, alternative to that yeah, as well. I actually, you know. I would, I know a lot of professional trainers that have rehomed dogs. I've rehomed dogs in the past. Um, yeah. It's professional trainers. It, they seem like it's, it's not, a big deal, right? Like we get it. Um, yeah. But in, in the dog, and then especially in the rescue communities, it's like really, really stigmatized, really frowned upon. And I've spent so much time just, um, just consulting with people and just helping them yeah. to make those decisions and figure out what's yeah. best. And again, it's not like, we're not talking about dumping the dog at the like, you know, crummy Down. shelter with like rusted out, you know, cages for the dogs, you know what I mean? But there, there are, responsible and considerate ways to help your dog find a, a family that's a better fit for them. And, and generally, yes, everybody is happier in the long run, but you do need to consider your yourself and your family and everything else. But yeah, um, as far as the board and train stuff goes, I think that covers it. I think, yeah, I think that covers it. Cool. All right, guys, we are out of time. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Once as again, who doesn't even drink anymore. Go have a couple for me. Know that you're loved. <laughs> Oh, did you eat any corned beef? I mean, you don't drink, but do you eat corned beef? No, God, no. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I still love my liver. <laughs> I oh, need to make I up love... for a lot of years. I used to live in Ireland, you know. I, I have a lot of making up to do. I need to corned beef is one of my guilty pleasures. I could eat like a two-pound corned beef by myself. It's just insane. Even when I was a kid, like my mom would make it. I liked the way it like would just kind of like fall apart, like fall the apart, way like yeah. the, 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 the grain of it is. Blood pudding? No, but with corned beef, I used to like to eat it with my hands as a kid. I never used a fork. It was, I like to pull it apart and, Savage oh man, animal. I am. Animal. So I, I, I didn't make it, um, on St. Patty's day today. I made it on Monday because I was working from home and I had the time, but I made some corned beef and cabbage. You made it on Monday. So that way you do, you're like, well, I'm going to finish this today. So then I get to make another one on St. Patty's. <laughs> we could do that as well. Yes, we could do that as well. So, all right, guys, thank you all for joining us. We'll Thanks, be guys. back uh, the first Thursday of April at noon. Yep. And until then, join us Check in the- Check out that uh, uh, body language course there. Learn more yep. about that. Body language course is great. Reactive to romance is great. Um Check out Evan's Facebook page and check out Rodney Habib's. Yeah, Planet page Pause. For nutrition stuff. Planet Pause. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Cool. All right, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. That's all for today, folks. Be sure to tune in next time when we'll be joined by me. I'll be flying solo and answering questions from members and giving practical advice that you can take to the bank. I'll see you then.